From the GW Hatchet, this is Alec Rich, and you're listening to the Hatchet's weekly news podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It. It's been a long three months since we wrapped our last episode in May, so welcome back to those who have listened before, and if you're a new listener, we're happy to have you here. Throughout the semester, even though I'll be recording from home, I'm hoping to, at the very least, continue to inform you on the, the events in the GW community with a wide variety of guests each week. But for our first episode back, I think it's important to bring you up to speed on what's transpired this summer and what we can expect in the months ahead as we try to navigate this semester together. That's why I'm so happy to welcome our first guest of the new season, Patch's administration editor, Zach Schoenfeld, who's done great work this summer, as always, reporting on all things GW. Zach, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me on. So first, the big decision for the university this summer obviously involved whether to bring students back to campus after going remote this spring. And we know there was an extensive planning effort to have on-campus learning. And then in late July, the decision was made to hold most courses online with limited housing and a 10% cut towards fall tuition. So first, kind of just take me through some of the key events in the university's lead-up and decision-making process heading towards July 27th. Yeah, so I think ever since the pandemic really started to affect how the university was operating, so much has changed. Uh, And the whole time, it's really been what administrators have always stressed is just flexibility, um, because the intended plan for both the spring and now the fall has changed really and done a 180 uh, multiple times. Um, you know, we saw in the in the late spring, and the early summer, tremendous efforts from the administration to try to bring students back for the fall. They had built up a whole testing capability to test all students um, when they came back to try to keep things safe. But as we went through the summer, as cases started to go back up a little bit, um, they really, you know, made the reversal and said, even with all this planning that had been done, which um, by the time that they had decided to go online for the fall, there was already a few months of planning of really all of GW's top administrators meeting daily, actually for multiple months to try to bring students back. Um, But eventually they decided with even all of that planning infrastructure in place, that just the current situation just isn't uh, isn't the best to bring students back, and they're concerned. Um, you know, they were concerned about having outbreaks that this fall, even with all that in place. Um, you know, we're already seeing from uh, some colleges that have decided to reopen um, in in the past few days already outbreaks at some of them. In particular, UNC Chapel Hill, uh, NC State um, made an announcement last week about uh, making a reversal. Notre Dame, a lot of colleges that decided to move forward, some of them have already seen outbreaks. So officials, you know, definitely um, to them made a more cautious approach because they didn't want students to come back and then have to reverse and then send everyone home again this fall. Um, So it's definitely been a lot of change since we were talking about just going online for two weeks back in March. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've saw, we've seen, you know, that was definitely, there there was a certain amount of praise from the GW community in terms of that decision. You know, what do you think was the final determining factor for the university, whether it be, you know, rising um, nationwide cases or you know decisions by other universities around the country? It seemed to be a combination of things. Um, I will say, I think for GW, in terms of you mentioned other universities, it, it's specific to DC. GW is really the first major university in DC to announce that we were going online for the fall. They were really the trendsetter that um, now almost every university across DC um, has decided to follow. Um, but I think there are, you know, from originally when we were talking in the late spring and early summer about bringing students back, I would say there was a few different things that I think really um, in administrators' minds were the deciding factors in deciding to go remote for the fall. Um, so originally, when they were planning for an in-person fall, 
under uh, executive orders established by Mayor Muriel Bowser in D.C., um, GWU had to submit to D.C. a reopening plan, um, which they did in June. Um, and that plan detailed a lot of different things about how they would test students, um, about how they would do contact tracing for anyone that becomes infected, um, about quarantine facilities for those who were either exposed to someone with the virus or if someone had the virus themselves, social distancing, mask wearing and face coverings in classrooms and public spaces. So it really um, you know, went into a lot of different areas of all aspects of campus life. So that was in mid-June when they submitted that. And originally when they submitted it, they were expecting to get approval really no later than early July. They were hoping within maybe two to three weeks it would get approved. And as time went on, as we moved into July, there was still no approval of that plan that they had submitted. Um, as we saw then, you know, as we went into July, that was about the time when cases across the U.S. started to go back up. Now, here in D.C., locally, um, cases haven't you know, gone above the, the spike that they had, the D.C. had earlier this spring, um, but they at times have ticked up a little bit. Um, but they've been relatively OK, especially compared to some other areas in the country where there have been huge spikes this summer. Um, but that being said, you know, GW pulls students from all over the country. Um, so I know that was one thing they were concerned about was getting students back to campus in the first place. Um, so that was definitely um, one concern that they had was the rise in cases across the country um, in the summer. So that was item number one. Um, and I think some other things um, that were occurring were um, right before GW made the announcement, um, D.C. In, uh, began a out-of-state quarantine from uh, hotspots, which at the time, um, if you know students were to move in um, in August as they were planned to, it would have affected, I think, between 20 to 30 states. So a lot of students coming from areas like California and Florida, um, where a lot of GW students are coming from, they'd have to come to campus and quarantine for two weeks. So already, a lot of students wouldn't have even been able to start the semester in person. Um, you know, not to mention, you know, if they were coming with family members, their family members would have to worry about quarantining as well. So that was really, I think, probably one of the last straws before GW decided to pull the plug because they announced they were moving online the next week. Um, but even before then, we had been hearing from administrators for a few weeks throughout July that they were starting to reconsider aspects of the fall plan, um, whether that be limiting who could come back to campus. Um, then eventually they decided to, to completely go online for the fall semester. Um, so it definitely, I don't think it was one specific thing, but it was one thing after the other um, where they just did not see it as the realistic scenario. And to transition to some more current events and some things that we can expect to see pop up on campus um, or in campus news in the coming weeks, um, first I want to talk about the economic fallout from the pandemic. Um, the Hatchets reported that you know the university has a $220 million um, annual budget cap that it has to make up for. Um, in early June, you reported that for the first time administrators said that they wouldn't be able to avoid layoffs any longer um, due to the financial impacts of the pandemic. And now we're seeing that in real time as part of these ongoing restructuring efforts. And you just reported on Friday that at least 70 staff positions, including career coaches, facilities workers, and internal consultants um, have been cut. And you know, some have been able to reapply in newly created positions. Um, but the move has angered members of the community, You know, not only because other administrative hires were made amongst um, this hiring freeze, like Heather Swain, which is a, a separate conversation entirely, but also because of people have said that you know they should be tapping into reserves or the endowment in order to, to fix that in, um, budgetary loss. So first, uh, that's a lot to unpack, but just what do you make of what we've been seeing on that front in terms of um, faculty being cut or staff being cut? Well, in terms of layoffs, I think over the past few weeks and past few months, we've seen 
um, kind of the conversation shift to two layoffs. You know, we started out um, back in March and April as, as the university started to realize it was going to face a major um, financial gap, um, you know, which is now we're saying this fiscal year will be $220 million. Um, you know, originally they said layoffs were on the table, but it's not, you know, at that point, at that point, you know, it wasn't really something that we thought, you know, was definitely going to happen. But as we moved into the early summer from top administrators, we had seen a tone shift to not only was it on the table, but it was something they were actively considering to eventually, as you moved into the early summer, administrators, including uh, President LeBlanc, began to say that they saw it as an inevitable and they wouldn't be able to avoid it um, as their financial projections, as more um, as more things became known. And they really started to realize the magnitude of how much this would cost the university, which definitely has only been exacerbated by the fact that we're online for the fall. Um, you know, the exact amount of how much that will cost the university is still being determined. But based on the financial projections that the university had made, we had known for, for weeks and months um, that going online for the fall would likely cause a greater dip in enrollment, which means less tuition dollars for the universities. They're losing revenues from auxiliary services like residence halls and other things that just students aren't on campus to pay for. Um, so because of that, you know, the current number that they're estimating is $220 million dollars. Um, and because of that, that, that comes out to be just around 20% of GW's annual operating budget. So that's a big gap that they'll have to fill. Now, in terms of how you fill it, it depends on who you ask about what you should do. Um, administrators, they've taken a few actions already. Um, this spring, they, they did a few things like uh, they froze most hirings, uh, most capital projects, which most notably did not include the Thurston Hall renovation, which has been a point of contention among some faculty um, they, uh, top administrators have announced they're taking a pay cut now, um, at least for the time being. It's temporary. Um, they are suspending retirement contributions. They're matching and base contributions by the university. So you've seen those, and now we're moving towards layoffs and furloughs. Um, so already the Hatchet has been able to confirm more than 70 layoffs across the university. Uh, but as these layoffs have started happening over the past few weeks, we've started asking administrators about how many there are going to be, what offices are affected, what positions are going to be eliminated. And so far, they've declined to answer every single one of our questions. And we'll get, they give us a statement saying that layoffs are happening. Um, but at this time, we still don't know exactly how many this will affect. Um, we saw Dana Bradley, the chief people officer who heads up GW's HR efforts, said that it would likely be in the low hundreds. She said that in, in GW today. Um, but in terms of that exact number and what positions it's going to affect, it's still unknown. Certainly a lot to look forward to and you know, a lot of response by the administration to calls from the community. Uh, Zach, thanks so much for your time. Um, keep doing your great reporting as always. Well, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be on. Thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this first episode back. In the coming weeks, we'll do some further deep dives into a lot of the topics discussed today as well. Gag to the Bottom of It is hosted by Al Grish and is produced by Gwen Wheeler. 